0: Today at the SDGI Directors and Dialogue, Irish director Anna Rogers and head of protection at the Frontline Defenders, Andrea Rocco, talk with Catherine Fairfax Wright and Malika zupali filmmakers of the award-winning documentary, Call Me Kuchu. Firstly, I just want to say thank you so much for making the film. I even though I watched it yesterday to get my tears out of the way, I have to say
1: I'm still really so deeply moved by your film, and um, we were working in Uganda at the time, um, my colleague was in Uganda, I very comfortably from, um, from Ireland, and just following what was happening there, um, thought really this is the film that we should have been making, and I'm so very glad that the two of you made this film, and wanted to just say it was a very brave and important thing to do, and it's well done. Thank you. Um, just to start, maybe you could tell us about how how this all originated. How did you become aware of the story? What motivated you to jump on a plane and, and leave your, your country and, and go to Uganda?
0: Sure. Um, well, I guess one of the original motivating factors was um, uh, we'd, we'd heard about a specific legal case that we brought in Uganda by a transgender LGBT activist called Victor Mukasa. And um, Victor, in 2007-2008, basically sued the Ugandan attorney general for police harassment. His time had been raided by the police, um, but he decided he wasn't going to stand for it. So we took him the Ugandan attorney general to court, and he actually won his case um, in Uganda's High Court. Um, so when we heard about this case, we didn't hear about it until about 2009, when we started researching the general topic. And we were kind of intrigued to learn about this and to hear that the Uganda judiciary was independent enough to be able to reward um, this kind of type of case to an L- even to an LGBT person in a country where there were sodomy laws on the books that were actually enforced and where people um, could be sentenced to years in prison um, for sodomy. Um, but, you know, we heard about that story we realized it was probably too late to try and document it, especially because Victor had to leave even though Victor had won this case, he actually had to leave the country almost immediately afterwards for his own safety. He moved to South Africa. Um, so uh, we realised we couldn't make a film about that, but we started speaking with activists in, in East Africa. And David was actually one of the first people we spoke with during the summer of 2009 as we started our research. And then David told us that there was this bill that he'd heard about that, it sounded like it, w- it was soon going to be introduced in Parliament and he was like, you, you, you guys have just got to come and document it as soon as you can. And we kind of on and about it a little while. And then the anti-homosexuality bill was actually introduced in October 2009 and we realised that we just couldn't hang around thinking about it any longer. We just had to go there. And then um, when we got there, David was one of the first people we met up with basically and he introduced us to the whole community and gradually over time we realised that he was in the
1: character of them. So maybe Catherine, could you tell us a
0: little more about your relationship
1: with David and uh, some more about that. How, how Joel emerged and how he became that central figure for you? Uh,
2: yeah, well initially um, he was really the most out member of the community, so he was pretty much by default the media liaison for the community. He was the one that was in contact with all the foreign journalists coming in and with you know the one who was most Kind of go-to person for anyone looking to to communicate with the the community. So So that's sort sort of the capacity in which we originally met him, Um, and from there started filming with other people. um, You know, upon his following his direction um, in terms of who had what to tell about which aspect of of uh, you know the the issue, and um, but then increasingly as we spent more and more time with him and figured out what he had to say, we were just kind of it, it enchanted by him in a lot of ways. I mean, he was just a really wonderful guy in so many ways. He was really captivating on screen. He was really charismatic. He was funny. He was rude. He was, um, you know, super energetic, also, uh, hugely um, generous, but also kind of harsh in other ways and um, really intelligent. And he just seemed to be at the sort of epicenter of everything. He was involved in the grassroots stuff, but also the one traveling abroad and the one who was super um, aware of all the litigious aspects of it and all the, you know, how to really instantiate policy, change, and things like that. So he just seemed like a good person to, um, from which, you know, through which to access all the different aspects of the situation.
1: I, I thought one of uh, the comments, I think was she said it about, um, you know, people want to hear our stories and, you know, I'm going to come out no matter what. Um, which really struck me as just incredibly brave and, um, you know the the film, I suppose, is making visible people who who are in their own countries quite invisible and have very few rights. Um, was it was it very difficult to navigate that world where a lot of people are hidden um, and to convince people, I suppose, to to take part in a film which is such a public display, it's such it's such a. I mean, some some people seem to be coming out in the film because they mentioned the fact that certain people didn't know that they they were gay
2: or uh, Yeah, to a certain extent. Although I think, um, I mean, the, the media had already uh, you know been around for quite some time by the time we got there, so they were pretty accustomed to sitting. They had already sort of decided who um, who was and wasn't going to talk to me and who was okay with their face being on camera and stuff. So anyone that we filmed with had already pretty much um, been outed in the in the news, but they were kind of at the point where they wanted at least things to be done on their terms and in their words without their words being twisted and, and turned in each way as they had been um, prior to that point in you know publications <coughs> such as the Rolling Stone and many others in Uganda, and also even by CNN and people like that who they didn't feel um, gave them quite, uh, I don't know, the spin that they wanted or, or whatever. They were kind of unhappy with their uh, presence in the media. So, uh, to a certain extent, I think they kind of uh, enjoyed the fact that they could really, they felt um, comfortable with our presence in the way that we were going to portray them. And that took some time also, I and mean, I think at the beginning they just wanted, they were very willing to sit down for an interview, but um, it was a whole other thing to try to get invited to their parties and to their dinner, their house with their children and all those So sort of, that's what took some effort um, in terms of just, um, you know getting across the fact that we weren't that you know our intentions were genuine and that we didn't have any desire to portray them in any life that they would want to be portrayed so that took some effort
1: i mean uh, you know one of the hard things i think watching this film is um hearing i suppose what, what i call the other side because i don't think it, you know that Um, Most people, certainly on this audience um, or Western audiences, would be on the other side. Um, How did you convince some of those participants, in particular the editor for the Rolling Stone, um, to participate and do interviews? And and also, how did you deal with that um, holding it, you know, and um, being able to conduct an interview, uh, considering some of the the things that they were saying?
0: Yeah. Um, Well. Actually doing those, uh, getting Giles, um, the editor of The Rolling Stone, and David Pahati, the author of The anti homosexuality Sexuality Ball, and other, other folks like that, to getting them to speak on camera wasn't actually very hard at all. They were very proud of their opinions and very proud of what they were doing and more than happy to tell us all about it, and especially because they could tell where we would be taking the footage and the material, so they were more than happy to be getting their message out um, to the Western audiences. Um, so that wasn't that difficult for, you know, for the most part it was just a case of getting people's cell phone numbers and, and tracking them down. Um, definitely initially doing those interviews was a bit tough because um, obviously it kind of just made us furious and we wanted to like argue and, um, you know, try and point out what we thought about the topic. And gradually we, after a while we realized that, that in terms of the footage we needed in the film, um, and making effective film that wasn't actually that approach wasn't necessary. And so, over time, we realised that we didn't actually need to argue with them. We just needed to get them to tell us their point of view, and us arguing with them anyway didn't seem to change anything. Um, so, you know, once we let that go, and once we said we kind of almost kind of numbed ourselves to it to a certain extent because we just knew that we weren't going to change their mind, it made it a little a little easier. Um, although that said. After David died, we, we went back and spoke with Giles, as we saw in the film. And um, I mean, we knew what he was going to say, and we, you know, we contacted him. We, we knew what we were going to get, um, but it definitely was a very uncomfortable experience. And um, sitting there and listening to him say all of that, but you know, again, it just it didn't seem like it would serve any purpose, and it seemed like a waste of our energy to get into a debate with him about it, especially because we're we're not in the film and we're not characters in the film, so.
1: Um,
0: just bring to yourself, Andrea um,
1: you know it, it seems like it's quite a troublesome kind of uh, debate around the international role on the one hand I mean I'm sure lots of people here signed petitions um, and, and people participated um, politically in opposing what was happening in, in Uganda um, at the same time through the film you can see that you know there, that, that creates perhaps more trouble for people on the ground out there as well because Perhaps it's seen as something that's coming from the West mm-hmm. culturally there, too. Um, you know, what, do you, what do you think about that, and how, that's, that, 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 that kind of how do you navigate
3: those, those two things? Well, um, as frontline defenders, our, our approach is much more uh, practical. We've been as well involved in international uh, in advocacy uh, around the bill, but the, the main focus is really the protection and securing, of you defenders on a more practical level. Um, it is, uh, it is not an international, now it's, uh, it's up again because sure. it's news of a couple of days ago that uh, the government got, uh, um, a, made sort of a strategy meeting of NGOs and uh, that involved those international NGOs. Uh, um, it was pretty much normal things, uh, you know, part of strategy, including uh, to define uh, journalism not too hostile for example but it does fuel because there were some international jobs involved it does fuel this type of uh, um, rhetoric of the council of the west i think it's uh, it's, uh, it's um, the right thing goes on how it is and while certain statements are definitely useful uh, uh, i think there are others that the reaction was more mixed we uh, um, yeah, another very recent one was from Cameroon and the uh, General Assembly of the Commonwealth, for example, where he openly threatened to cut aid, uh, uh in case there was no uh, actually taken on uh, respect to pay rates. And, uh, and that, that did create a lot of those reactions and even after this question, whether that was the most uh, um, clever way to, uh, to do it. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's also important to uh, make his public statements uh, uh, as well as acting in different ways. I mean there's been a lot going on behind the scene of meetings uh, in the field with us move any uh part of all the Prime Minister's ranking bringing him. So I think it's uh, the key there is making different approaches, uh, but always taking the lead from local activists. Another thing that we have heard a lot uh, um, in that case was the initiative of an international um, group. Um, starting a campaign without consulting local activists. And this is really what is dangerous, I think they can put more in danger, because there are times where you want the visibility, but other times think things may look like they're going to be better and then a different approach may be uh, preferable. So uh, taking the lead from them, I think, it is really the key that is what, what we're doing. That's, that's quite disappearing that kind of thing of, you know, the West coming
1: into the system, maybe things or, or from, from the inside, I mean, that was one of the things that I noticed that film was very much was representing how empowered um, how people were. Um, was that something that, sh- that motivated you?
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, over the course of, so, so we started, started filming in, in the early 2010, 2010 and uh, continued and continue filming through the um, middle, yeah. T- yeah, the fall of um, 2011. 2011. And um, over the course of that time, we'd often kind of go to Uganda and come back. We were both based in in New York at the time. We'd come back to New York and read uh, international media stories like CNN and New York Times writing about the issue. Um, And one thing that struck us was the way the story was told was always focused on these American evangelicals or the the politicians introducing these laws. Um, And the, the community and people like David and Cash and all the folks we knew really well uh, were for the most part just represented as victims and um, people suffering this persecution, which was obviously the case, was obviously part of the story. But we felt like it was really only half the story, and what we were seeing on the ground was that David and the rest of the community were actually working tirelessly to the end, you know, receiving very little money for it to um, to fight uh, state-sanctioned homophobia. And um, so o- o- over time, it became even more evident that. You, you know, we needed to focus the film on that because that that was the story that just wasn't getting out. And you know, if if Obama was talking about it, or David Cameron was talking about it, or Hillary Clinton was talking about it, it was all it all originated from the work that David and the others were doing on the ground. And I think that was a kind of concept or message that just wasn't getting out there. And we wanted to show that in the film. And um, Andre, come back to you, you know, what was your direct role with with some of the people we see in the film,
1: and in particular, I suppose um oh. you know did you have contact
3: with david did you work with them and that's you know yeah help them to go about that yeah well, that's really hard to see because we do now uh, all of them uh and uh, literally, all the people that were in the um in the uh, momentum um there in ganda and now they a meetings and as adam was saying at the beginning david was here and the uh, platforming uh, in february 2010 when uh, he was actually in a protective fellowship in new york just to take a break from uh what was going on there kind of. um the um hey, we've been in touch over uh, over the years with, with in the first time probably was uh, in 2006 2006 which well, uh five years before, before last year and uh time, we developed time the relationship not just in terms of supporting him but then because of the important work he was doing with all the artists through him uh, identifying other um um, it, it's pretty much uh, yeah. difficult really to, uh, to assess or even to, to devise and come up with a strategy because you see the movie, the risk really comes from anywhere. Um, in, in many situations that the source of the risk is really identified and you can more easily devise a strategy, in that case it could be a religious leaders, politicians, uh, family or uh, well even just people in the streets. Um, We've heard uh, many times of uh, activists who told the stories we were taking, as I was telling you before, we were taking a water of the, the taxi motorbike, and then some people simply recognizing them from uh, the newspapers, from uh, um, press conferences, or uh, programs on TV, and eating them, because they recognize them as uh, the gay person. So, um, yeah, for us, it was, it was uh, a number of people majors. Uh, uh, it, it's sometimes it was more, Inspiration of heightened risk, say, uh, because it's probably public transport and supporting with the, uh, private transport, the boy taking the uh, buses, uh, uh, or you saw before a of jobs as well, uh, uh, changing address. That's another thing that has been going a lot, just leaving them going in one place and then going in other places when the address is disclosed. Um, so, <coughs> yeah, <did> the Yeah, uh, <coughs> But it's very,
1: very much kind of practical security type
3: support that, that you give to people? Yeah, and you, part of it, now I mentioned a few examples, which is measures uh, uh, measures that we found through a, a grant program designed to fund security measures. Uh, uh, another part of it is training in terms of, uh, um, you know, taking a moment to think about where the risks are and what can be done What type of uh, protocols that you can put in place in order to react to be ready when something happens. Um, there's been actually development that is positive uh, after um, that martered, that the merger that all the organizations came together and took a bit more time to think about how they could deal and they set up a security committee which is composed of representatives of different LGBTI groups and um, is one day to so identify those who are more exposed and uh, uh, seeing what type of measures could be put in place and then uh, uh, fundraising as well for them.
1: I mean, I just thought, uh, it I'm coming from, and I'm not sure how many filmmakers are here from Screen Directors Guild, but just coming from filmmaking perspective myself, you know, I'm just interested to know how did you approach this? You know, from a production point of view, did you have a big team? Did you have budget when you started off? Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that worked.
2: Um, yeah, we uh, we are the crew. <laughs> And we had no money at all um, when we began. We just decided, at that point we really felt like we you know, were in quite a bit of a rush and we just wanted to get over there. So we just bought tickets and went. Um, <coughs> fortunately, I, I already had the equipment um, and Malika had already done quite a bit of the research, so uh, we just went with that and uh, you know, met up with David the first day we were there and everything kind of continued on from there. Um, when yeah, yeah, our second shoot we, we brought, brought an additional shooter with us, um, the third shoot was just us again and then had produced it, our shot and edited, and we both directed. So, I mean, the credits are on because we have had quite a bit of help here and there, um, which has been uh, you know, tremendous and certainly wouldn't be the film it is today without all those people involved, but the vast majority of time, <laughs> it's just the two of us. It's so an incredible achievement
1: and a real reminder as well that, you know, these kind of stories uh, can be told you know, people invest their time in it, and it, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to um, have a big production company behind you or a big budget behind you. Um, and the fact that you, you went on, I don't know if the, the audience is aware, but the film won, won the Teddy Award at Berlin, 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 which is a huge accolade um, and very well-deserved. Um, thank thank you, all you all for coming, and, and, and um, to, to Funtime Defenders for organizing this and giving us all this screen director skills and then, um giving us all this opportunity to see the film. And, and thank you again for making it. chance can't stress enough, um, how important it is, and, um, you know, that, I suppose, giving, giving a voice. I suppose we all, often talk about documentary, you know, that what we're doing is giving a voice to people, and um, I think you very much did give a platform and a voice to people who, um, who, who otherwise, you know, may not have had that, and especially to David, and in celebrating him, and um, that we all remember him and what he's done, and uh, thank him.
3: For, for making this all possible. Thank you also to Anna for facilitating the Thank you, Susanna, for that event tonight. Thank you all for coming. Again, uh, Frontline Defenders, www.frontlinedefenders.org to learn more about our work. Call Me Gucci, the film, has a website, www.callmegucci.com. Glenn, of course, I'm sorry, I forget your Glenn.ie and uh, Screen Directors of Guild of Ireland, SDGIE.ie, uh, for more information about other films and, and documentaries coming out here. Um, again, thank you all for coming. We really appreciate your support and help spread the word about this important film and this important work going on in Uganda. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the SDGI Directors and Dialogue. We would like to thank our sponsors, the Irish Film Board and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. For more information on the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland, visit www.SDG